Okay, so welcome to the sixth episode of the Strength Institute podcast. Uh, today, I've got Stephanie Robel joining me, um, who is one half and the helm of the Robelshay sailing team. And they're currently the number one ranked U.S. sailing team for the 49er FX uh, boat, which is a women's double-handed skiff class. And I'm sure we're going to dive into all that in a little bit. Um, but before we get into everything, uh, I want to run through some of Steph's accolades here. Uh, she has won the U.S. Women's Match Racing Championship twice. Uh, she has won the U.S. Uh, Open Match Racing Championship. She has two bronze medals at the Women's uh, Match Racing World Championships, a first and second place at the Women's International Match Racing Series. She's a world champion in the Etchells class and in 2014 won Rolex Yacht Woman of the Year. Did I miss anything? <laughs> You made it sound pretty good. <laughs> it's a pretty good resume to have. Before you started winning all these championships and uh, representing the U.S., uh, how did you get into sailing? Um, I grew up on a small lake in Wisconsin um, called Lake Beulah, and my parents signed me up for sailing classes at our local yacht club. And honestly, at first, I like actually really hated sailing and wasn't into it at all. And then um, I eventually like started racing and kind of getting more into it with my friends and um eventually I realized that I really like racing and really like winning and um that's what kept me going so um so how old were you when you yeah. found that sort of competitive streak I think I was uh like seven or eight and I was actually racing with one of our close friends Katie um together in a boat that's supposed to be only sailed with one person but we raced the, the race with the two of us because I was so scared and we ended up winning the race, and I was like, whoa, this is really cool. I like this. <laughs> I like winning. So I, that's my first memory of it and really, like, what fueled my fire to keep going. Oh, that's very cool. And uh, now I know you sailed at, at college or university, as we call it here, but did you have sort of sailing clubs when you were in high school or did the high school have sailing teams because there's a lot of inland lakes around Wisconsin? Or did it really sort of – it was just a, a fun thing on the weekend and then you concentrated on it more when you went to college? Um, so sailing for me was my number one sport my whole life. Um, my friends in high school called me Carmen San Diego, like where in the world is Steph? Because I was always gone and always traveling. Um, so it was always my, my main sport. Um, and on the side I was doing a little bit of track, a little bit of cross country, but I could never like really keep up with it as much as I wanted to with the sailing. Um, and actually for me, it was unique because my high school didn't have an actual sailing team. Um, but there is high school sailing in the United States, which is actually a really popular thing. And it helps kids get ready for um, sailing in university. So it's a similar type of sailing. Um, we just didn't have that at my school. And actually, we didn't really have it in, in the Midwest in general. And right now, it's actually really growing. So it's a cool opportunity for kids to get involved and continue their sailing career beyond just what they do in their summer sailing. So you didn't have that growing up. You were just sailing um <clears throat> Through, through Yabula Yacht Club? Yeah, yep. all and, by myself. Yeah, by <laughs> oh, we had, I had a great team around me. It was, um, you know, the Hagers and um, the Smiths and the Porters and a bunch of fr bunch of our friends from back home. And, um, you know, we had a, a great team, but I was still by myself in the boat. And so when I did the high school sailing, I was all by myself representing my school, but really just on my own. Um, and, yeah, I think that's a interesting part of sailing is when you're young you have like you're often sailing a boat that's single-handed or maybe double-handed but it's so it requires you to be really independent and really um 
you know, really thinking outside the box on a lot of things. And it's cool. I think it's really cool for young kids to get involved with. Right. What is the difference between single-handed and and double-handed for people that don't know anything about sailing? Um, So single-handed is just one person in the boat. It's often a smaller boat. Um, There's a a couple of classes in the Olympics that are single-handed, and then double-handed is two people in the boat. Um, And it can... And again, in the Olympics, there's a couple different classes, but they're all different types of boats. Okay. Um, and then from there, uh, you went to Old Dominion College in, in Virginia? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then in college, they actually have you know proper sailing teams now for you. So can you tell me a little bit about your sailing going through college? Yeah. Um, college sailing was, again, a huge focus of mine. I would say I was a little bit more focused on sailing in school than I was school itself um so i I really i I chose odu because of the sailing team and the leadership there um and yeah i was i was really happy with the the college career that i had and um it's amazing to be a part of a team in a college community i'm sure it's the same with any other sport but you just you walk into school and you have this family and this support network and whether it's you know the coaches or your teammates or you know at athletic advisors um so it was really cool a really amazing experience and um i was really hungry to get some good results in college sailing and um was really focused on it i guess a question with the type of sailing that they're doing uh, a lot of your resume has got to do with match racing uh, but now the boat you're racing in is fleet racing so mm-hmm. can you sort of tell the difference or tell everyone that's listening the difference between fleet racing and match racing and what were you doing at college and why the changeover? Yeah, totally. So in college and all growing up, it was mainly fleet racing, which is just a huge group of boats. It's basically whoever signs up for the event, you all race against each other. Um, and then after college, I transitioned into match racing um, because it was in the 2012 Olympics, um, just women's match racing. And that's a style of racing where it's one-on-one. Um, you, you'll see it in the America's Cup Um and basically, it's just using the rules of sailing and the wind and tactics to take out the opponent. Your only focus is beating that other boat. Whereas in fleet racing, you get scored based on your racing. So if you win the race, you get one point. If you get 10, you get 10 points. And you race a series and then get an overall score um, and low score wins. Whereas match racing is just tournament style, one-on-one, knock people out. So I really like match racing. It's so much fun because of that style where it's just like fight to the death um but fleet racing is really cool too because it's a different mentality of you know you really have it's a marathon you really have to take it one race at a time and focus on consistency throughout the the series is uh is there a big difference between the two in terms of how long a competition goes for so with a fleet you have a giant fleet is it still maybe only you know four or five races is that the same as a match racing or or are they they quite different? Um, it's the the actual amount of days is probably similar. Um, in match racing, you'll get more races in because they're shorter races, and they just bang them off real quick. Whereas with fleet racing, like for example, here we're doing three races a day over six days, so um, a long event. But you know, you kind of you know how many races you're going to race each day, whereas match racing, you could do like 10 races in a day all day long. Well, a lot of racing. (laughs) Yeah. 
So right now you're, uh, uh, well, the, the Robuchet sailing team is currently ranked number one in the U.S., and you were explaining to me a bit before that doesn't guarantee you a spot into the Olympic Games coming up in 2020. So you have to uh, qualify the country, and then you have to qualify, I guess, your team or your boat in. And in okay. my head, I was thinking it would be done like a championship series where if you're racing over a, a whole year's period, whoever has the most wins would, would go through. But you're saying it's more of a you have a trial um, and it comes down to that sort of one series before as a, as a selection series? Correct. Yeah, there's there's a set selection series for us. So we actually have a really big year ahead of us, which is really exciting. Um, first, we have to qualify the country. Um, there was one opportunity to do that last year, and unfortunately, we missed that. We had a pretty rough world last year. Um, but coming up this summer, we're, we're going to be representing the U.S. at the Pan American Games in Peru. Um, and that'll be our continental qualifier where we have to beat the other North American teams in order to earn the North American spot for the games. So our goal this summer is to earn that selection, earn the country spot there, um, and then we'll get into the trials selection um, later this summer. And they've restructured it this year so that it's a little bit, or this quad, so that it's a little bit more complicated than past quads, but basically it'll be just a two event series um, with the boat with the lowest score between the two events winning the selection. So first to qualify the country, and then second, we have to qualify ourselves. There's a couple of different ways we can do it, but basically come August, we'll be trying to earn that selection spot in, until December. Okay, and, and how many boats are competing? You said it was in Peru where you're trying to qualify the country? Yeah. So how, how many different um, boats will be racing in that, in that competition? So it's actually a pretty small fleet. Um, which we were just talking about the strategy for this last night, which actually makes it a little bit harder um, because there isn't such a high range of, of um, points. But so it's only just the Canadians that'll be there. So we basically have to take out the Canadians, um, which is kind of funny because we're really good at match racing. So it'll be a good, um, it'll be a good battle between us and we're excited to, to bring it on. So in a scenario like that, uh, where you have to beat just the Canadian team, um, even though it's mm -hmm. a fleet, it's, it's a fleet series. Uh, yeah. Are you going to treat it strictly as a match racing? You're going to try to find that Canadian team and get next to them and, and, and beat them the whole time? <laughs> um, that's one way to do it. Um, there are specific rules about match racing opponents in a fleet racing scenario, so I'm not sure we're actually allowed to just take them out. But you know, we'll have our eye on them the whole time and. There's actually a lot of other really good teams, like the Brazilians who won the gold medal in 2016, they'll be there. So, you know, our ultimate goal for this whole campaign is to win a medal. And so if we've put our focus and energy into just trying to beat one team, we're not going to be the best team that we can be. So we really, you know, our whole goal there will be to win the event. And if we win the event, we'll know we'll get the job done. And so... You know, it's a cool opportunity because we get to race against all these really good teams and put our best out there. And by just trying to take out one team, we're not putting our best out there. So it, we know, and that's kind of, that's our approach for the whole trials as well. Like, okay, we could focus on taking out the other American teams, but that's really not our goal overall. Our goal is to win a medal. And we want to show up at the world championship in December and, and be fighting for the top spot. And if we do that, we know we will win the trials. Right. I guess I wanted to get into your coaching and, and strategy planning for, for a race or a series. 
Um, so you have coaches that help guide um, going into competitions and support staff. Um, how do you how do you structure a, you know a strategy plan or execute a strategy plan for you know training camp and then going into competition? Yeah. So the the thing that I love sailing is that it's always different. Each day is is always different. Um, in general, you know what you're signing yourself up for mentally, so that you can kind of budget. I don't know if budget's the right word, but you can um, strategize long term, saying, okay, I know I'm signing up for this six day event. And we're going to have three races a day so that like mentally, you know how that's structured, but you don't, we don't know like, okay, when we go in the water today, we, we don't know exactly what it's going to be like. We have a really amazing team around us. We have um, a weather team who sends us a forecast every morning. Um, and then our coach goes through the forecast um, and sends it to us and kind of picks out highlights of the day. So we'll like today, for example, it's just a really simple straightforward breeze so we're thinking okay our, our mentality for this is we just gotta we gotta be locked in all the time focusing on speed um so with, with the forecast then we have our coach who we work with um all the time and then we have our our um psych, sports psychologists who we work with we have our physical trainers back home who we work with um and our nutritionists and you know we have a really awesome team around us so we can help cover all the bases for this campaign that we're going through um but yeah our coach is the one who's here with us hand in hand every day and um she has a lot of experience and really tries to help us set the priorities for the day and um for the event as well right um and, and i i wanted to sort of touch on this as well i it interviewed a olympic bobsledder for australia a few podcasts ago and cool. Well, bobsled for Australia is not really a, you know, a, a primary sport, right? So <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> it really fell on to him to, and the team to organize coaches, to raise money, to travel for training, to um, pretty much they had to fund themselves. It was very little assistance from the Australian government. Um, is mm -hmm. sailing a bit more mainstream in the U.S.? Like, are you getting assistance from some sort of sporting commission over there, or does it mainly fall upon you and your team to, to raise the funds to get these coaches and, and sports psychologists and nutritionists to help you out? Um, it's a mix of both. Um, we, we do the majority of our fundraising. We're, we're similar to the bobsledder that we have a lot on our plates to do a lot of fundraising. And Maggie and I really strive to run a very professional campaign. Um, and we try to not let um, the financial side of it take over the sailing side. Um, so we try to try to make good decisions um, and then say, OK, if we really need something, we, we'll fundraise for it. You know, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. Um, but so there's a mix of us fundraising, but also the USOC supporting us a little bit. Um, for example, they provide um, some, they provide health insurance for us. They provide some performance bonuses to us. We have the opportunity to qualify for fun, like some really good funding for them. Um, and they set the bar really high. You know, the USOC has a lot of really good athletes. And so they set the bar high for qualifying for funding. And unfortunately, this past year with our um, tough worlds, we didn't qualify for funding the year before we had funding from them. Um, so it's kind of like, OK, we didn't qualify for funding. Now we got to make up for that in fundraising. Um, but, you know, it's yeah, we, we pay for our coach, our full time coach um, all through fundraising and we pay for equipment and everything through fundraising and the financial side of it can be really stressful um and it's we're really 
trying hard to compartmentalize everything and say, okay, this is a fundraising chunk of time and this is a competition chunk of time. So we're not overlapping the stress at all. Right. Makes sense. Um, I think it's really interesting that you said that you have nutritionists working with you and sports psychologists working with you. With your nutrition, is that more uh, sort of based around giving you the best recovery or is it like rowing or crew where you um, have to make a certain weight as well for your boat? I mean, you obviously selling a much bigger boat than a rowing boat, so maybe weight doesn't matter. Or What's the nutrition um, aspect of it for you? Um, so weight does actually, weight matters a lot in our boat. Um, there's There isn't like a way in that we have to make. It's more like, okay, as our team, what weight do we want to sail at? Um, and I can do this in kilograms. <laughs> we target to be 100, between 128 and 130 kilos um, as a team. That's kind of what we found is the average in the fleet. So if we're around there, we know that we'll be similar to the boats around us. Um, so Maggie and I naturally are a little bit lighter than that. So we're always trying to, to put weight on. So that's something our nutritionist has been helping us a bit with. Um, but she also helps us too with the recovery, which is which is really important. You know, we're doing six day events and how do we stay properly hydrated? How do we stay, you know, properly fueled up for these marathon of events? And how do we fuel up on the water? You know, like my, I, when I'm really excited about racing, like my stomach doesn't want me anything, you know? So how do I fuel up ahead of time to make sure that I can last for three races? Whereas Maggie can eat on the water, no problem. Um, so she she really helps us tailor our nutrition plans. So yeah, it's it's been really it's been cool to work with her, and she she's awesome, super available to us. Um, and yeah, we're just always eating, trying to gain weight. <laughs> A lot of people are angry at you right now for saying that you can't gain enough weight and you're eating everything that you want. Yeah, that's good. Uh, do you do you take sleep into consideration for your recovery? Absolutely. Yeah. Sleep is a really big thing for us. Um, and we, we work with, um, our, um, our, our fitness coach on uh, a biometric diary that we fill out each day. So that records our sleep and it records our hydration level. It records any stress, um, records our weight every day. So we can see like, okay, when we're in a training phase, um, weight has been dropping or when we're in regatta mode maybe you're not averaging enough sleep and um just helps us get an idea of how, how things are going um but i would say you know we really do try to prioritize sleep and um try to be in bed for at least eight hours a night um sometimes a little more if it's a long windy day you're really exhausted or you know, if it's a windy day coming home and taking a nap after sailing to make sure that we're recovering enough before the next day. Right. I've, uh, next week, you'll have to listen in. I, I'm doing a podcast with a, a PhD holder in sleep science um, and sleeping for performance. Oh. So that would be an interesting one as well. All right. So I guess that touches on nutrition and recovery a little bit. Uh, what about the uh, training side, your strength and conditioning outside of sailing? So you said you have some guys you work with back when you're you know, at home base. Uh, mm -hmm. What what does a, a training session off of the water look like for you? Um, so we, we use a, um, a company called Sailing Performance Training, and it's a remote um, fitness coaching um which is really cool it's all through an app and um it's our friend mike and this other guy fred who 
um, develop this company specific for sailors. And so we can do it. He does the programming for us and then we can do it basically anywhere we are in the world. Um, it's an amazing thing and it's been a huge gain for us overall. Um, so he basically I have a meeting with him once a month via Skype and say, hey, like, this upcoming month, like we're really heavy on regattas or we're really heavy on training. And the goal for this training is to, to gain weight and, and push hard in the gym because the next month we have a big regatta coming up or something like that. And so he always has like our overall vision in mind and, um, helps tailor his, the workouts that he creates based on that. Um, so he, um, for example, off the water. If I'm if I'm home for two weeks and we're doing a big build, we'll do um, a session that is similar to what I do on the boat. So we'll track our heart rate data, and he's a sailor himself, so he knows exactly what we need to do in order to do our jobs better. My job is totally different than Maggie's. Maggie has a very very physical role on the boat. Her heart rate is up the whole time when we're sailing, and she's the one doing all the pulling and all the hard work, whereas I'm I'm skippering the boat and steering and she, and, and trying to make decisions and, you know, have my mind into it and where she's like the one just doing all the hard work. So Mike does a good job of tailoring our workouts to our jobs. Um, I do a lot of um, kind of longer cardio, like lower heart rate, like target 150 heart rate, like a, an a hour long bike ride, for example, but I still need to gain weight. So we're doing low rep, high weight, um, gym sessions as well so there's yeah there's a lot of <laughs> a lot of thought behind it so so what sort of exercises are you doing in the gym then like what has uh, good crossover to sailing for you we do a lot of like sled pulling um that's good for shoulders um because we're doing so much pulling as sailors um we'll do a lot of like trx type movement for me um bench pressing pull-ups weighted pull-ups um a lot of single leg um, uh, deadlift type stuff. Um, it's I think it's a hard balance because, you know, we're trying to put on weight, but we're also trying to be really agile to get across the boat. So we'll do um, some agility stuff as well. I do a lot of like ladder training, um, just trying to get my, my footwork and um, up to speed. And then you know, ankle strength as well is really important. So we're quick across the boat. So a lot of a lot of everything. <laughs> Now, I've seen photos of Maggie hanging way out over the side of the boat, and I'll, I'll be sure to put some photos up at, at the bottom as well. Yeah. So do you, do you have to do that as well as the, uh, as the captain? Do you both have to hang way out over the boat? Yeah. Yeah. So we're both um, on a trapeze. So we have basically, when we're sailing along, basically only our feet are touching the boat um, as we hang off the side, and then our bodies are over the water. Um, so we have a harness on, and then we're clipped in. Not We're, we're hooked in um to a line that hangs from the mast um and so that's the trapeze line and then we're hanging off that trapeze line and um it's a lot of a lot of core activation and also like just really engaging your legs so that you're you're, you're trying to stand as tall as you can to get as much leverage against leverage and riding moment against the boat as you can right okay and, and how long does a typical race last for you um about 30 minutes so three or four races a day, 30 minutes. All right. Each. All right. Fair enough. So back to your campaign now, leading into these trials come uh, August, I think you were saying. Mm -hmm. How how much are you flying around? You know, 
how many different competitions do you have to go to to sort of stay on this competition pathway to the games? We we spend a lot of time on the road. We're about three weeks a month on the road. Um, Airbnb loves us because we are always renting different places. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge component of this, and our our whole goal is to train against the best people that we can train against. And um, you know, there's other only a couple other teams in the states who are training, and and we want to sail against the best. So we're for the last year we've been traveling so much to Europe to sail against some really, really good teams um, and do a lot of training regattas over here. So, yeah, it's been a really travel heavy schedule for us. And I was just Maggie and I were just talking about this the other day. Our, our summer schedule is insane. We um, we go to Lake Garda, Italy for the month of June, come back for a week and then we go to Japan for two and a half weeks. Then we come back for a week and then we go to Peru for two weeks and then we fly straight from Peru to Japan to start our trials and we're in Japan for like three, three and a half weeks. And then we're into September already. So we're, we're constantly on the road. <laughs> wow. That's a lot of, a lot of sailing, a lot of traveling. How do the logistics work in terms of um, using your boat? Is it a standard boat that these places provide you? Do you have to ship your boat all the way across to, to, to these different places every time you want to race? Yeah, so the, the fleet is one design, which means that in theory, everything is the same. So you can, everyone sails basically the same equipment, um, but, you know, you, you own your equipment. It's really hard to charter or um, borrow equipment because you don't know exactly what you're getting. It's best to have your own equipment, exactly how everything is set up. So everywhere we go, we, we ship a boat. Um, so basically for the year, we got... Our two boats ready in Miami, which is our home base. And then we shipped one via container to um, Europe, and then one is on its way to Japan right now. Um, and they get unloaded there and kind of spend their lives either in Europe or Japan. And in Europe, we have a trailer and van and everything here that um, goes all throughout Europe to the different competitions. And then Japan, um, it's only one venue, so luckily it just stays there. But, um, yeah, it's a lot of logistics. That's a big operation. I didn't realize you had to actually sh to sea container uh, your whole boat um, over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. So the class being a, a, a 49er, is that 49 feet or does that have to do with something else? It's 4.9 meters. 4.9 meters long. Okay. Okay, so your boat's about 15 feet long. Um, the sail size, do they have to be standard as well? I know that, um, for example... Uh, in other sports like windsurfing, I mean, it's really up to, I think, the competitor if they want to try to get a bigger sail if there's not enough breeze or a smaller sail to hunker down and, and really attack, you know, aggressive conditions. Do you have the same choices or does everyone have to use the stock standard gear? Everyone uses stock standard gear. Um, you have to buy your gear through an official 49er dealer. Um, so it's it's all the same in theory, which I keep saying because there it's it's all handmade, you know, so there are like little differences between the gear and our masts, for example, they're carbon fiber masts, but there are differences between them. So that's another element to this whole campaign that we pay a lot of attention to, especially when we're trying to find just those little gains where, you know, we're buying a couple different masts and then we do what we call a bend test to see how the mass reacts when weight is put on it. Um, to see how like stiff or soft the mass is. 
Um, so we have a couple different masks and then, you know, you put it up and you sail with it and you're like, oh, okay, I really like this mask and, or mm, I'm not sure I really like this one or this one has a manufacturing deficiency somewhere. And so, you know, we're always looking for little gains with our equipment. Um, you can kind of like get down a little bit of a rabbit hole, just like looking for perfect equipment when like, you know, if, if you can't get off the starting line, your, your mask doesn't matter as much. So um, it's we're 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 always doing it as a side project, but the main focus is sailing. Um, so yeah, the sails sails are all the same, masts are all the same, but we do find differences in them, and so we try to try to pick what's best for us. And is that mainly by feel? You're sort of feeling this feels better for me when I'm sailing it, or do you know, hey, if this mast has more bend, we'll get an advantage from there? So is there sort of something that you're looking for, or is it all just on how it feels on the water? Yeah, so that's that's been an interesting part about this whole campaign. So three or four years ago when we started sailing, um, we didn't know what we were looking for. So we were, it was a trial error type thing. Now that we're three years in and we have a much better feel for the boat, we know when we put something up, okay, this looks really good or this feels really good. So there's always that look and feel component to it. But um, we also use cameras and some um, computer programs to help us make the decisions. Um, for example, we can take a photo of the sale and then run um, a scanning software on it that helps us understand like the depth of the sale and the, like the overall shape of it. Um, so that'll help us make decisions on the equipment. Um, again, it's all one design, so you're not really seeing like huge differences. You're just seeing little differences um, between the stuff and you know, little little things can add up. So we're we're always trying to look for that that little bit of a gain. Looking for those half percenters to get the edge. It's good. It's important. Exactly. When you're competing exactly. at that top level, those half percenters make a difference. Exactly. I think that's basically everything that uh, I had written down here that I wanted to ask you about. Um, and we already covered what's next for you. We have a lot of competitions until August, and then trials, and then uh, hopefully qualifying for that U.S. Olympic team. Yeah, totally. And we'll actually be down in Australia in February of 2020. So um, we'll be in Geelong, I think. Geelong. Yep, Geelong. Yeah. yeah, so we'll be down there for our world championship in 2020. What I'll do is I'll link uh, your website to anyone that wants to follow along or, or um, support uh, at the bottom of all the podcasts and YouTube things. Um, and I'm pretty sure... Uh, the video has been a little bit in and out, but the audio, I think, should be pretty good. So hopefully uh, everyone gets a, a good listen in today. Alrighty, so thanks very much, Steph, for coming onto the podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy listening about how uh, a campaign to try to get into the Olympics works in sailing. Um, and is there anyone that you wanted to give a shout-out to before uh, I leave you? Uh, yeah, I'd really love to give a shout-out to my teammate Maggie, who can't be here today, but she's She's the best. I feel really lucky to have her by my side during this campaign. Um, I'd also like to give a big shout out to my mom who helps keep the wheels on the bus with our campaign. She's the one working behind the scenes to do a lot of the stuff and help us out so much. So really big thank you to her and then also to everyone on our on our team and in our bubble who helps help us get where we're at. Great. It does take a team um, by the sounds of it. Yes, it really does. And we're really cool. lucky to have the team that we have. Fantastic. Well, that's great. Uh, and once again, uh, I will put all of Steph and um, Team Robochet Sailing's information in the bottom of the podcast so you can uh, follow along and support if you want to. Uh, thanks very much, and I'll talk to you later.
Sounds good. Go USA. <laughs>